We read the angel candle verse a few minutes ago, and I don't know how many of you think about angels on a regular basis. Some of you may think about them a lot, others perhaps hardly at all. But the odds are good if you do think about angels at all, that you think about them more during Christmas time than at other times of the year. One reason for that is that as you read the Bible and as you read the stories surrounding Jesus' birth, uh, angels are everywhere. Uh, There are at least four angelic appearances that I can think of in connection with Jesus' birth. Angels appeared to Mary and to Joseph and to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. They appeared to the shepherds in the field, which we read earlier. Angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus and his coming over and over and over again. So at Christmas, we see angels in the Bible, but it's not just in the Bible. We also see them in popular culture, in popular movies. Uh, One of the most popular Christmas movies in our country, uh, they play it 10 billion times right around Christmas time. It's a wonderful life. All right, I got that number from my own statistical research. Roughly 10 billion times right around Christmas, uh, they play it on TV. And y- if you've seen it, you know it centers around uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, and this angel, Clarence Oddbody, who comes to help Jimmy Stewart come to terms with his life. And uh, Clarence Oddbody is not a big, powerful, threatening angel. He's kind of a rumpled, confused old man who's trying to earn his wings, Right? That's the popular image of angels. They're not always big, powerful, threatening, shiny. Instead, they're kind of cuddly. They're kind of rumpled. Maybe around Christmas, you've seen angels that look kind of like this on a tree. This is a Christmas ornament made by the Precious Moments Company. And uh, they've really popularized this image of angels as sort of babies with wings. That's really what they are. Uh, Years ago with my mom, I actually visited the Precious Moments Chapel. Uh, I have to clarify, it was with my mom. Uh, We were driving through Missouri and she said, I've always wanted to to see this. And so we walk in and the place is like the Sistine Chapel of babies with wings. It's unbelievable. Uh, You look up on the ceiling and there, there are carvings everywhere of this type of angel and all sorts of biblical characters from Abraham to Moses to Jesus carved like this. And they have turned the Bible into something immensely cuddly and cute. That's the popular image of angels. Now, the reason that I go into this this morning is because as you look at the Bible, that's not how angels appear. And in the beginning of the gospel narratives, and even in the Old Testament narratives, when we have angels, angels show up and people are terrified Because they're bright, they're big, they're powerful, they've clearly come from heaven. And usually, instead of saying, I want to give you a hug, people fall down on their face when angels show up. And the first words that the angel usually has to say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm just proclaiming a message from God. They're that powerful, that strong that big. Now, the reason that's important as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter one. As we look at the book of Hebrews, that's important because when we think about angels from the Bible, they're big, they're strong, they're powerful. They speak on behalf of God. And the temptation that many people have had is to worship them. 
And as you look at the book of Hebrews, the author was talking to a group of Jewish men and women who had trusted in Jesus. And so they had followed the law of Moses and from there had believed that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're wrestling with whether to let go of the law of Moses or not. And one of the reasons they don't want to let go of the law is because the law was proclaimed and mediated by angels. Deuteronomy 33 actually indicates that tens of thousands of angels accompanied the giving of the law. And Jewish tradition says that angels were behind it. So if you're a first century Jew and you say, I'm going to abandon the law and pursue knowing Jesus Christ as the avenue to get to the Father. If you say, I'm going to do that, you are leaving behind this angelic tradition. And that scared people. And you're leaving behind Moses and the prophets in their mind. And so the author of Hebrews, the entire point of his book is to say this, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's stronger, he's greater, he's more powerful, he speaks more directly for God. As great as the angels are, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Moses. Although Moses had a purpose, Jesus is greater. He's greater than the prophets, he's greater than the law. He is bigger and greater than everything. Now my guess is that there are not many of us here this morning who are tempted to worship angels. If I asked you, have you ever wanted to worship an angel? You say no. And part of that is because of what our popular culture has done to them. I don't really want to worship a flying baby, right? But although we're not tempted to worship angels, I still think we get distracted by messengers and traditions and accoutrements that surround Jesus instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so maybe you have your favorite preacher. Maybe it's Brian Fisher and you say, Brian is my favorite pastor and he speaks for God. Don't contradict him. Or maybe you have your favorite theological system and you say, I'm a follower of John Calvin or John Wesley or John Edwards or John Piper or whatever John you want to put into that blank. And you say, that's my guy and I will follow him And you lose sight easily of Jesus. At Christmas, we emphasize traditions and activities and family and food and all of these great things. And what Hebrews points us to is this, that we need to fix our eyes above all things on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who made the world the one who will remake the world, the one who died for our sins and rose again and through him will rise again as well. And again, our temptation is always to drift to the messengers of God, to those things surrounding God, to our traditions about God rather than Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at Hebrews chapter one, my only purpose is this. As we go into Christmas, I want us to become captivated with the person of Jesus Christ. That is my only purpose. So uh, I'm not necessarily here to go into a deep theological treatise on the book of Hebrews, although we will talk about some theology in chapter one. But my primary purpose is that as we gather around the traditions of Christmas, as we gather with our family, as we sing songs, and as we go into this season, that we remain captivated and enthralled with Jesus who is not just the reason for this season, but is the reason for our existence and our lives and the promise of eternal life. And Hebrews gives us a few reasons why Jesus is greater than anything else. 
And all through this book then, he's going to say, look at him. Look at him. That child in a manger is the son of God, just like we sang. And so fix your eyes on him. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Why Jesus is greater than the angels, why Jesus is greater than all others. I'm going to begin in verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So first of all, we see that Jesus is greater because he is God's son. He is God's son. And the idea is this, that if you think the angels are great, guess what? The angels are only ministers of God. They serve around the throne of God. They serve him. They serve his people. They speak on his behalf. But they are not nearly as great as Jesus. Jesus is greater. And he begins with a couple of passages. One is from Psalm 2. The other is from 2 Samuel 7. These are passages that reference what we call the Davidic covenant. And the idea of the Davidic covenant, if you remember King David, the probably greatest king in the history of Israel. King David wanted to build a temple for God and God appeared to him and said, no, you're not going to build the temple, but Solomon will. But because you have this heart for me, I'm going to make you a promise. The promise is this, David, one of your descendants will reign in Jerusalem on God's throne forever and ever and ever over a kingdom that will have no end. And he will be, 2 Samuel 7, my son. I will be a father to him. And Psalm 2 brings that out again in a context talking about what we call the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And all through the history of Israel, then the Jewish people looked for this Messiah. Every king that arose, the question they would ask, is this the one who is the son of God? Is this the one who will reign on behalf of God? Now, they may not have known that he was going to be God in the flesh, but they were looking for this Messiah, this anointed one. And Hebrews says, the angels, the prophets, Moses, the law, all of it's leading up to him. And God never looked at an angel and said, you're my son. And then Hebrews takes it even one step further. And he says, not only that, but all the angels worship him. Because he is equal to God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? That's John. John says, no one has seen the father at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he explained him to us. Jesus came as the perfect representation of God because he is of the same essence and substance of God. He is equal to God. That baby in a manger is God. And so he's greater than the angels. He's greater than any human messenger. He's greater than any tradition, any system, any work, any law, anything that you would focus on, anything that you would follow. Jesus is better. Because as the son of God, he has direct access to God. He speaks directly on behalf of God and he acts directly 
on behalf of God. Only the son has that kind of relationship with his father. There's a famous picture of JFK Jr. Uh, during the years that his father, John Kennedy, was in office as president. Uh, here's the picture. This is in the Oval Office. You can see President Kennedy working at his desk and there's his son under the desk peeking out from beneath the desk. It's a great picture because uh, as a dad, I can relate to that, not being in the Oval Office, I've never been there, but uh, I can relate to having a son who wants to come in and be a part of my world, be in my office, answer my phone, pretend to work on my computer, right? We try to keep him from sending actual emails, okay? But you can relate to this, dads. And so it's this sort of iconic picture. Now, my question is, I saw this, so what would happen if you or I tried to hide under the president's desk? Bad stuff, right? Get arrested, you get imprisoned. Even if one of the cabinet members, Secretary of State, tried to do that, it'd be weird at best, right? (laughs) Only the son has that kind of access to his father. Hebrews says only the son has the kind of closeness, has the kind of authority to speak fully on behalf of God. See, the angels proclaimed Jesus, but Jesus is God in the flesh. And because of that, he's more trustworthy than anything that came before, anybody who comes after, anything that surrounds him. He's greater because he's the son of God. And he goes on, in fact, in this passage, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And the idea is this. Not only does he speak for God, but he acts on behalf of God because he is the king who was promised. And this is the idea of Hebrews chapter 1 in the whole book is that Jesus is coming back and will initiate a kingdom that will have no end. And so he is the once, now, and forever king who sits at the right hand of God the Father and will one day reign on a restored earth in a kingdom without death, without sin, without Satan because he defeated all of those things. Only the Son of God could accomplish that. The angels, in contrast, are just servants. They're powerful servants, they're big servants, they're strong servants, but they're still just servants of the one true God. And so this author here says, focus your attention on him. Don't get distracted. Yes, angels gave the law. Angels were involved in this tradition. Angels were involved in the discussions with Moses and the prophets. But angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus because Jesus is even greater. And he is the once and forever reigning king. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the show Undercover Boss. The idea behind Undercover Boss is that an executive at a large corporation will disguise himself and go and work in the stores that are a part of his company. So one of the ones that I saw was the CEO of 7-Eleven. 
He disguised himself. I can't remember. Maybe he changed his hair, did a beard, the whole deal. Disguised himself and went and worked at some local 7-Eleven stores. And I remember on this episode, he walked into one of these 7-Eleven stores and he noticed that some of the lights in one of the storerooms were were out. They were bad. And so it was dangerous. You couldn't really see what you were doing. Uh, People were worried about tripping and falling down. And he asked the manager, why is it like this? And she said, well, I have to have somebody from the maintenance with the corporation come and fix these lights, but I can't get through. I keep calling and calling and calling. I can't get through. CEO was stunned by this. So on his break, he walked out to his truck and he called the COO of the company. And he said, there's some lights out at this location. She can't get through. We got to get it fixed. About 45 minutes later, the team shows up with their ladders and they fix it. Manager was stunned. She doesn't know what's going on. Because the boss is disguised as an employee. But the truth is, if you want to get something done, he's still the boss, right? He's still in charge. Hebrews says, this is, this is a good picture of Jesus. He is God in the flesh. And we think of him in the manger. He's God as a baby. And as a child and as a man. And he has access to God and he has authority on behalf of God that no other messenger no other addition to Christmas carries. And so as we walk into Christmas, the exhortation that I think the author of Hebrews would have for us if he were here this morning is, you just fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted. Don't get into arguments about who's the best preacher or who's the best system but you fix your eyes on Jesus and you take time over this week to pull away from all the activity and say, we're going to worship him and we're going to fall at his feet because he is God in flesh and he is the king of the universe. And we'll get to this in a moment, but one day his kingdom will come and it will be everything that we hope for and desire. Some of us at this time of year perhaps experience grief or loneliness or sadness. Maybe we're separated from those we love. Maybe there are those that we have lost over the past year. And something about Christmas and New Year's intensifies that grief because we long to be with them. And the promise of Jesus Christ is that the day is coming when death will end. And that only happens through him. See, the angels can't do that. That only happens through him. The promise of Jesus Christ is that sin will end, that Satan will have no power in this world, that the world itself will be renewed. Only Jesus can accomplish that. All of your hopes for Christmas find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than anything else that might distract us from the message that he came to give us life. He's greater because he's God's son. He's also greater because he's eternal. Look at verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So he is God, and he is king, and he is eternal. 
Jesus will last forever. He has a history that goes backwards forever because he founded the universe. And he has a history that goes forward forever and eternal life is found in him. He will never end. And for that reason, all of our hopes will be fulfilled in him forever and ever and ever. Those who trust in Jesus know that they will have a life that goes on forever and ever and ever. And nothing else in this world has that kind of staying power. In the context of Hebrews, he's talking specifically about the law of Moses, that the law of Moses existed to point us to Jesus Christ, but once its purpose has been served, it fades away. Only Jesus lasts. And I love the imagery. It says like a garment, uh, it'll be changed. God will change this earth just like a garment. Some of you are going to go home after church and you are going to quickly change your garments because although you look good right now, you don't feel comfortable. So you're stiff, you're scratchy, and as soon as you get home, you will remove these garments and you'll toss them in the laundry and you'll put on your favorite t-shirt. Some of you are about ready to go right now because you see that, right? That is the hope of the future that you have, isn't it? (laughs) Hebrews 1 says, like a garment, God will change out everything in this world. Your house will not last. Your clothes will not last. Your car will not last. Your stuff will not last. All those things that we work so hard to earn the money to buy will fade away and burn up. But Jesus remains. Your body will give out. If you're young, if you're 18, 19, 20, that feels like so remote a possibility that it probably you feel will never happen. It will. It's giving out now. It's fading away. But Jesus will remain. And for those who are in him then, he will restore life. We will have a new body whose life comes directly from him. Just like a garment wears out, everything that we buy, everything we invest in in this world that is not connected to Jesus will fade away. When I was in college, I had a favorite t-shirt. It had a picture of Cookie Monster right on the front of it. And it said, Got Cookie on the back, I think. And uh, I wore it quite a lot. I don't know why it was my favorite. I just liked it. I got compliments for it. Maybe it made me feel good. A couple of times people tried to purchase it from me while I was wearing it. Uh, This was just my favorite shirt. And so I wore it over and over and over again. Uh, Now, after we got married, I continued to wear this shirt Uh, but Shannon washed it more frequently than I did when I was single. I'm just going to be honest. And so as she washed it, it began to fall apart. It developed holes here and there in the sleeves and uh, in the side. And I kept wearing it for a while. And after a while, the holes got a little bigger. And so I only wore it at the house. And I kept wearing it. And eventually one day I came in and I just realized uh, Cookie Monster's face was just gone. There was just nothing left but a big hole in the center of it. And I still kind of wanted, and finally I came in one day and it was in the trash. And I made my plea, Shannon, can I keep, I love this shirt, can I keep it? And she said, Matt, it is time to let go. (laughs) All good things must end. It's no longer even acceptable in the house to wear this shirt. And so we had to let go. Now, many years later, she purchased a new one for me, actually, a new Cookie Monster shirt that I still have to this day and I plan to until I die, okay? (laughs) But it will still eventually wear out. Everything you have that's sitting in your house, everything you have that you're wearing on your body, that you drive around, is going to fade away. 
and your body will die and your family's bodies will die. But what will last is Jesus Christ and in him we will have life again. Free from sickness, free from death, free from sin forever and ever and ever. His history goes backwards forever. It goes forwards forever. And so we can look at him and say, if I want life that has no pain, that has no misery, that has no death, I fix my eyes on him because he is powerful, because he speaks perfectly for God, because he is eternal and he lasts forever. There's no one greater. The angels can't say that because their life like ours derives from God. Only his life is truly eternal and we have eternal life because we're attached to him. And so Jesus is greater. Lastly, he's greater because he will win. He will win every battle against every enemy. Look at verses 13 and 14. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? The idea is this, that the day is coming in which Jesus will vanquish all of his enemies once for all. But in the meanwhile, he has ascended and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God because his work is done. And Hebrews brings this up over and over again. But the idea is this, that Jesus died for our sins. He took all our sin away. He rose again. And then when he ascended into heaven, guess what he did? He sat down in the very presence of God as if to say, my work is done. No priest in the temple ever did that. If you were a priest in the temple, you didn't bring your lawn chair and kick back next to the altar because there was always another sacrifice. There was always another sacrifice. Why? Because there was always another sin. And so day after day after day, the priest stood on his feet and performed sacrifices. The work was never done. Jesus, once and for all, offered himself on our behalf, rose again, and now he sits down. But the one thing he still needs is a good footstool. And so Hebrews says, God looks at him and says, you sit here and I'm going to give you a footstool. It's going to be all your enemies. If you put your feet on someone, that's a sign of dominance in the Bible. To trample someone underfoot means I have utterly vanquished you. And God says to Jesus, you have earned through your death and resurrection the right to put your enemies under your feet once and for all, forever and ever and ever. Who are the enemies? Death is the last one to still be defeated. Satan, although he still operates, eventually will lose. And sin was defeated at the cross, but we still feel its power in our lives until the day when Jesus returns and all of those enemies will be vanquished. And so right now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He intercedes on our behalf and he waits for the day when his kingdom will come in all of its fullness. And in the meanwhile, he waits for men and women to trust him because he's patient. So the game is already won. And when I was a kid, I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, and we would often play Monopoly. And my older brother uh, treats Monopoly as if he's actually needing to earn a living off of this game. He is 
he is serious. He is often uh, a little bit verbally aggressive, you know, as you play the game. And uh, I'm, I'm the middle one. And so I tended to kind of try to keep peace between my two brothers. You know, as we got older, we've stopped playing it, actually. The first time we played it with uh, my sister-in-law, she left in tears. And so... Uh, We've had to kind of put that game aside, but one of the strategies that my brother would employ in order to win, because my older brother almost always won, one of the strategies he would employ is at the beginning of the game, you know, you divvy out the money and you begin to go around. Dan would always take a few thousand bucks if he could and just kind of stash them away somewhere. He'd put them under the board or in his pocket or somewhere where you couldn't see them. And then as the game went on, you would build up momentum and you'd be trying to beat him and you would invest your resources and your energy in defeating him. And just when he had a dollar left and he was about to go down, he would reach out and with a flourish produce the hidden money and just totally demoralize you and win the game. And all through the game, he would sit there knowing in his heart that he was going to win. The game was rigged. And what Hebrews says is this, that although we look around right now and it seems sometimes like the momentum is against the things of Christ, the game's already won. All we're waiting for is for him to come back and claim what is already rightfully his. This whole world, you and me, and everything attached to it. And his kingdom will be established in peace and righteousness forever with no end. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we don't just celebrate the birth of Jesus. We celebrate his death and his resurrection, which defeated sin, defeated death, defeated the enemy. And then we look forward with anticipation to the day he will return and heaven will come to earth. See, the angels can't do that. No preacher can do that. No family member, no tradition, nothing you do, nothing can accomplish the renewal of all things apart from Jesus Christ. And so he's better than everything you know. And again, that's really my only purpose for this message this morning, is that as we walk into Christmas, we will be captivated with the person of Jesus Christ, with the idea that God would send his son to take flesh and live with us. So one day we'll be with him in a kingdom with no end, with no enemies, worshiping him forever. Now how this plays out in your family this week as you enter into Christmas, it may vary from family to family, but let me just exhort all of us to something that at some point in the next couple of days, you take time simply To worship him. Not to do anything. Not to go anywhere. But simply to worship. To gather your family. Your kids. Your spouse. The extended family. And you say this is who we're here to worship. And at this moment. For the next 30 minutes. Hour. However long. We're not going to focus on the list. We're not going to even go do a good deed. We're going to worship him. And remember that he is greater than all of the stuff that surrounds Christmas. He's greater than all of the systems we build. He's greater than all of the people we admire. Because he is the only son of God. Who lived among us. Who died and rose again. And who's coming back for us. 
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and how it constantly points us back to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Father, we are so undeserving for him to come and live among us as we sang earlier. He wrapped flesh around himself. He breathed our air. He walked our sod. And he died on a cross. And then he rose again so we can have life. So Father, I pray that that we would welcome him into our hearts, into our families, into our Christmas, into our lives and fix our eyes on him knowing that it is in him all of our hopes are met. We thank you again for this time. pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas. And just a reminder, Tuesday evening, Christmas Eve at 6 p.m., we have our Christmas Eve service right in this room. So we hope to see you there. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas.